All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege and the honor of gathering together as family this evening. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free, Father, and thank you for showing us and revealing to us the value of unity in the faith. Thank you for fellowship. Thank you for granting us this building so that we can do this wonderfully good work in your Son's good name that is dine on the very bread of life. Thank you for these moments of freedom, these moments of being recharged. These are all grace gifts motivated by your love personally. May we never forget it. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work who you sent personally as well out of love to cancel out that debt against us. We do just ask your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, heart disease in America. Let me start off this way. Do you know who this is or this was? That's uh, John Gotti. He was like the big suave don down in, uh, being a mob boss down in New York City. Most people know who that is. He ran the mob in New York for about 10 years or so. He was ruthless, but he wore $5,000 suits. And he was brash and uh, crass and in your face and sort of mocked the justice system whenever he'd be brought up on charges. It was a joke. And oddly enough, Americans were obsessed with him, actually rooting for him. I remember seeing videos of him coming out of court and people were cheering for him because he got off. And we're talking not just tax evasion, we're talking murder charges, stuff like that. And people were cheering for him, our fellow Americans. Some of you might be saying, you know, I always thought God, he has a thug anyway, so the stupidity of others doesn't apply to me. Well, how about, do most of you know who these folks are? The Sopranos? How sick is a country... I'm talking about heart disease here. How sick is a country that produces such a show, and it's not only a huge commercial hit, but it's socially elevated? The truth is that Americans in general do not care how a person makes their money or acquires their glamour, only that they have it. Some of you might still be, quote, unaffected, So let's try this. Close your eyes if you must and picture your boss. The one that's treated you so well over the years. Maybe it's the one whose trailer hitch you've attached your cart to. And if you own your own business, then your, quote, boss is your customers, of course. Imagine the ones that have provided you with the most so-called opportunities over the years. Are they truly living for Christ? Truly. And if not, then why do you spend so much time preoccupied with what they may think of you? Why do you spend so much time then preoccupied with what they may think of you? Most of them, at best, feign a relationship with Christ and at worst are repulsed by Him. Yet, most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We are all simply, quote, let's say layers away from the John Gottis of this world. Some only a few layers away, some a distance. But the point is, as James taught, Jesus' own brother, of course, celebrating the wrong kind of wealth. As James pointed out in James 2, verses 1 through 9, To some, it doesn't matter how a person acquires wealth, but rather that they possess it. That's what he was saying. He's like, why are you showing partiality to the people that drag you to court? The focus is completely perverted. Self-sanctifiers celebrating greater self-sanctifiers. There's an echelon. So we celebrate the wrong kinds of of wealth. And just to clarify the point on the board, 
Two people can have the exact same amount of money in the bank and yet have vastly different amounts of wealth as far as God is concerned. Again, two people can have the exact same amount of money in the bank. It could be a dollar, it could be a million dollars. But yet have vastly different amounts of wealth as far as God is concerned. As the Spirit taught us on Tuesday, back to heart disease, it's a pretty sick heart condition when one stands opposed to the Great Commission in favor of gathering unto oneself. A sick heart is a deceived heart. The problem with deception is that, by definition, you don't know when you're in it. Again, it's a pretty sick heart condition when one stands opposed to the Great Commission in favor of gathering unto oneself. A sick heart is a deceived heart. The problem with deception is that, by definition, you don't know when you're in it. Matthew 6.23 is our scripture. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. That's a picture of deception. But then, or if then, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And that's what the Spirit's, that's all the Spirit's been trying to do is wipe our eyes clean. To get the, like I like to say in the morning, get the crusties out. You know when you get up and you can't see? He's like, let's get that out of the way. It's, it's muddying our vision. We don't, we're deceived, at least in, to some degree, all of us, because we've had this veil put over our faces as Americans since pretty much the day we were born, since pretty much the day we went to elementary school and then middle school and then high school and then some of you went to college and some of you went to the workplace. But the whole of it is all meant to put this thing over your face, to get you to buy this huge lie. And we lap it up like puppy dogs with milk. So the Spirit's just trying to wipe our eyes clean so that we can wake up and see our lives for what they are, a vapor. Go to James 4.13. James 4.13. I mean, just think about if you just spent, I don't know, 10, all right, let's push it, 20% of the time you spent, I don't know, golfing, watching television, doing whatever you guys, whatever you women do for like hours at the mall, whatever, you, whatever the thing is that you do, that literally is just sort of like, you know, mindless. Just say you took 20% of that and then dedicated it to the Lord. How much greater might your own life be? How much more peace might you have? James 4.13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is a sin. Now, this evening's message is a synthesizing type message, so if you didn't get the last few messages, it's going to be more difficult for you. Um, But maybe that was the 10 to 20% that I just talked about. You know what I mean? If you missed it, you could have. Concentrate for a moment. Let's get practical for a moment. Because I do hear about this often from you. Some of you suffer horribly. Emotionally and spiritually. And it seems almost perpetually. Some of you suffer horribly emotionally and spiritually. And it would seem almost perpetually. And I'm convinced that much of your suffering would be alleviated by you simply letting go of those ungodly expectations that you were taught in your youth. I am convinced of it. Just let them go. 
Most of us have our parents to, quote, blame, colloquially speaking, but now that we're adults, we've got no one to blame for our misery except ourselves. In other words, the reason why many people suffer, at least in this country, I'm not saying all, I'm saying many, in many ways. It's just common that people suffer because of this. It's because they are upset with the fact that they don't, quote, measure up to this country's socially accepted standards of living. And some of you may even have parents that are, like, chirping in your ear. You're, like, 50 years old, and the parents are, like, 75, and they're like, have you made anything of yourself yet? You know, by your age, I already was CEO. You understand what I'm getting at? And some of you are haunted by parents who do ridiculous things like that. But our Father in Heaven trumps any parent on earth. If you've got an idiot for a father or an idiot for a mother, so be it. Chalk it up as, what, a test? But don't buy their lies. Don't settle into their disgusting ways. They're human too. They're weaker than you are, quite possibly. If they're speaking to their own children that way, then they are definitely weaker than most of you. I know that for a fact. So learn to just say, hey, hey, listen, pops, listen, mom. Whatever you think is cool with me, because what you think of me doesn't matter. It's actually none of my business. Don't do this, though. <laughs> you might get a backhand. <laughs> Although at 75, you might be able to dodge it now. Just saying. <laughs> it's about freedom, folks. I hope you see it. Drop what you thought you knew about being successful as a person or mature, or even pious, from most of far from James 1.27. I'll show you that true, true religion. Much of your suffering will dissipate once you realize it is self-inflicted as the result of buying a lie. So drop it. Drop what you think success is, or maturity, or, pi- or being religious is. True religion looks like this. James said this also. James 1.27 Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. That's what pure and undefiled religion looks like in the sight of God and Father. To visit orphans and widows, and this is a heart issue. The person who has this heart understands what James is getting at here. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. Let's read a passage that will help drive more of this home in our souls. And remember, context is key. He's going to harp on context this evening a lot for good reason. God has given each of us a measure of grace to manage in our lives. To manage in our lives. We've all been given the very breath of life. You're sitting here because you're alive, right? And you made it here by the grace of God. Amen? So that makes you a manager of your time. He could have said, I'm going to keep you alive today, and I want you to go to church. I want you to listen to this message. And you could have said, nah. And you would have mismanaged that measure of grace. Right? So we're all managers of grace in our own lives. Go to Luke 16.1. The problem is when we're managers, we can squander that grace. We can squander that which our Father gives us. And we might think of the rich man in this parable as God. Luke 16.1 Luke 16.1 Now he was also saying to the disciples there was a rich man who had a manager. And this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him in and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. So this guy's shrewd, in other words. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. 
And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. For that which is highly esteemed among men, think of our own country now, is detestable. Detestable. That's a strong word. Detestable in the sight of God. Some of what the Spirit's teaching you lately may seem a bit foreign to you, frankly. I know that for some of you, this is the first time you've ever been faced with this kind of a perspective from any pulpit. It's not uncommon, let me just say this, it's not uncommon for a person to recoil at the sound of the Spirit's conviction on the human heart. Some of you may, this entire, the last three lessons alone might have some of you recoiling. Literally, like, whoa, where is this coming from? So it's not uncommon for a person to recoil at the sound of the Spirit's conviction on the human heart. I'll give you a perfect example. I don't have to give you this, but I'm going to give it to you. I look like a jackass. Okay? So whatever. You don't have to spend too much time with me to see that. But just in case you ever missed it recently and you need a refresher course, here I am. (laughs) On Tuesday, the Spirit had Scott up here asking the question, do you think maybe it's time we act like those in Acts 2, selling property even, for the sake of the gospel? And being a homeowner... Myself, my flesh's reaction was easy for you to say, Mr. I split rent with another Scott. <laughs> that was my flesh, by the way. I'm like, mm. do I have any control over my horrific flesh or the temptations it sends up to me? No. So when I recognized that thought for what it was, garbage, I quickly stepped back and said to myself, do I believe that God is using this vessel behind this pulpit for my good? This was on Tuesday. And of course, the answer was a resounding yes. Of course. So it wasn't until I got past my knee-jerk reaction that I got the real message. And I'll leave it at that. But as the Spirit was teaching me in that moment, I thought of something worthwhile sharing with you all now. And you need to concentrate. And I don't want this to be misconstrued in any way. Just take it at face value. Take it home with you. See what the Spirit does. On faith. Sometimes God will give faith to the reluctant. What do I mean? In other words... Our flesh may not want more of Christ's heart on something because it knows that we become responsible to God on that subject. So we may be reluctant, but God says, too bad. I'm going to show you the light. 
And then you're going to have the faith, and then you're going to have to wrestle with it for the rest of your life because you know it's the truth. And until you get by that hurdle, the truth shall set you free, you're stuck. You're even in more bondage than you were yesterday because yesterday at least you were ignorant, but today you know. And God disciplines those He loves. And to whom much is given, what? Much is required. So now you're all like, darn it, I should have took vacation this week. I knew it. Something was up. Now I'm responsible. You're like the rich man, but I have a lot of stuff. God gave it to you, didn't He? He also gave you these lessons. What are you going to do? So sometimes God will give faith to the reluctant. In other words, our flesh may not want more of Christ's heart on something because it knows that we become responsible to God on that subject. Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given, much is required. Has He given me faith that His ways are not my ways, nor His thoughts not mine? Yep. Has He given me faith that spreading the gospel is my primary purpose in life? Yep. Has He given me faith that what's mine is actually His and that whatever I own isn't really mine? Yep. Then what's my problem? I have a flesh. Duh. So do you. Now, does that mean, tonight's a balance statement as well. I don't want anybody to be walking out of here thinking that I'm teaching something completely lopsided, like everybody in here should be like those in Acts 2, 2,000 years ago, that were selling everything. Because that's what the Spirit convicted them to do. I'm not teaching that. That is a wonderful example of following the Spirit, but the key concept is to follow the Spirit regardless of what He asks you to do. That's different than becoming religious and fabricating something, and then going off and selling all your properties just because you heard a message or a week of messages. He doesn't want that either. So does this mean that I'm convicted to sell all of my belongings, including my house, my car, my whatever right now? Nope. And now's a good time for a few balance statements, because like I said, I don't want people to get off-kilter on this subject. It's a very solemn subject, a very um, convicting subject. But I don't want people to be lopsided because everything has a context. Your life has context. Remember that. Every scripture that we go to has context. So balance statement. Wealth isn't the issue. It's what we think about said wealth. Wealth is never the issue. It's what we think. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not every evil. All kinds of evil. All sorts of evil. So that's the context. We can't just make blanket statements and false doctrines. Wealth isn't the issue. It's what we think about said wealth. For example, God may rightly ask one person to store up finances in order to someday support a mission of his. I mean, I think about the people who just gave $2,000 in a check. How'd they have $2,000? I suppose if they were just selling everything and blowing all their money on old ladies crossing streets, they wouldn't have $2,000, would they? So you see, God's smarter than we are. And that's why He says, don't get hung up on any of the particulars necessarily. Listen to what my Spirit is saying to you personally in your life's context. That's very important for all of us. So, for example, God may rightly ask one person to store up finances in order to someday support a mission of His. And that is totally righteous. But only, only for the person who has a godly heart concerning finances. See, that same person, if God said, don't store up anything, I want you to be that person, they would do that fine as well. Why? Humility. They'd say, just whatever you want me to do. You want me to store it up a little bit? Fine. And when there are big needs, I'll give it? Fine. You want me to just be that other person? Fine. It's a heart issue. There are a variety of ministries and what? 
one Lord. A perfect example of this is the church we're in right now. Think about it. This church, I mean, I don't know, last estimate is probably half a million bucks with the property. Probably a half a million dollars for this property. I know they spent somewhere in the order of half of that to build it, which means a whole bunch of effort and labor was put in, which really means that people put other jobs aside, lost money in the world to build this thing, which really, if you net it all out, comes out to about 500 grand. <laughs> right? In other words, a lot of money was spent, whether it was in the plus column or the minus column, doesn't matter. A lot of money was spent on this building that you're sitting in. Before we arrived as a congregation, a very small group of people spent much of their life savings on seeing this building through to completion, even emptying their retirement accounts. Now, if they hadn't had those finances stored up, this church wouldn't have been built. So we can't make the blanket statement that if some of us have money in the bank, that we're somehow more evil than those who don't. Do not do that thing. Do not do that thing. We cannot make the blanket statement. This would be a false doctrine that those who have money in the bank are somehow more evil than those who don't. In all fairness to the perfect integrity of God, it's just as probable that a person who has no money in the bank is more evil than a person who does. Let me repeat that. In all fairness to the perfect integrity of God, it's just as probable that a person who has no money in the bank is more evil than a person who does. You might say, now how can pastor say that? Easy. Scripture. I know my scripture, do you? I'll argue with it with you. I'll show you context and you'll be sitting there with your thumb somewhere where it shouldn't be. I meant in a pie. What's wrong with you people? What's the guy in the corner, little Jack Horner? Sat in the corner? Jeez, people. See, you guys are sick perverts. Balance statement. Again, not every believer is called to, quote, sell everything at once, since some things used by God for His glory cost more than others. Like this building. <laughs> Imply some save to be used later. There are a variety of ministries, my friends. So be it. If everyone's broke, he wouldn't be able to use us the way he desires. Duh. If everyone's broke, he wouldn't be able to use us the way he desires. As I've taught you on many times, many occasions in the past, right here, context is key. Your life has context. Nobody's life is exactly the same. For example, regarding finances. Your life has context. And your life has, your life has context, and context is key. Nobody's life is exactly the same, especially regarding finances. So why all of this poking around and prodding into finances then? It's easy. Well, given the fact that we live in America, where finances make idols, Context says, I've got to teach really hard on these idle issues regarding finances because they live in the context called America, which is famous for making idols out of rich people. That's context. Okay? So we live in America. Americans are intoxicated with wealth. So the Spirit's teaching us to, quote, see it all as truth and avoid the trappings of loving money. That's the problem. When your heart goes, you know, your heart is where your treasure is. If your heart's with money, you have a problem. Because that person won't give it up when asked to do so. They'll store it up for themselves, as we'll see again. In other words, our lives as Americans have context. And it's typically that we store up treasures for ourselves. Now, that's the key here. I think that 
if you don't read for context, you can read certain Scripture wrongly. And you can present Scripture wrongly as doctrine even to others and make doctrines like, well, that person has more money than this person, so that person's more evil than this person. This person's obviously living more for Christ than this person because this person has more money than that one. That's a garbage doctrine. Luke 16, 13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. Just because he said, store up some stuff for later, like Abraham, go over here, I'll tell you later what I want you to do with it, doesn't mean that you're serving it. It means you're still serving him. So you don't do that problem. Don't make that mistake. There's another balance statement I want to give you to clarify some of this. God's trying to get us to the, quote, kingdom of heaven, which is a reality available to every believer right now. He's trying to get us, in other words, into this mindset. What is the kingdom of heaven? What's the kingdom of God? What's this mindset that we have available to us right now? After we are, quote, there, then he can direct our earnings and our expenditures to accomplish his will. Context is key. In other words, as a shepherd, I don't want you running out and selling your house tomorrow to try to do good. I don't want you to do that thing. Why? Because most of you would be doing it religiously for wrong reasons, trying to do something for the wrong reason when you weren't even convicted to do it. That's called wood, hay, and straw. You might as well take your house and burn it. It's after we are there, then he can direct our earnings and our expenditures to accomplish his will. Context is key. So I hope you see the distinction here. For if you don't, you risk becoming religious about your finances and producing a whole bunch of wood, hay, and straw. Now, if you're convicted by faith to sell your home and give to the poor, then very good. Congrats to you for following his lead. Honestly, congrats. However, if you're not convicted, do not do it. Do you got me? You get my drift? If you're not convicted, that means you don't have the faith. He's not interested in you selling your house for the wrong reasons. If you're not convicted, then don't do it. If the whole game is to be humble and follow his lead, walk by the Spirit, not by religion, not by little to-dos. Walk by the Spirit. And if you have the right faith and you're mature enough and he asks you to do that thing, then do it. Good for you for following his lead. Likewise, though, if you're convicted by faith to save your money, not knowing maybe what he might ask you to spend it on in the future, then very good. Congrats to you as well on following his lead. However, if you're not convicted, then do not do it. Don't be convicted by your flesh living for self, and that's why you store up and enlarge your barns and this kind of a thing because you're in love with the idea of money. If you're not convicted or if you're convicted to save your money and he's got something in store for you, then do it. Follow his lead. And congrats to you for doing so. But if you're not convicted in that way either, do not do it. Do you see what the Spirit's saying here, my friends? He's saying this up here on the board. Get your perspective straight and your priorities will soon follow. Get your perspectives straight and your priorities will soon follow. Do not jump the gun just because the Spirit has me all fired up against certain things. That's a mistake many well-intentioned people make and it's a cause for great consternation. Again, how often do we hear this from the pulpit? Perspective is key. You'll never find it if you don't first have context. Luke 12, 16 to 21, 
for example, the parable of the rich man's bonds. You'll never find perspective if you don't first have context. In context, the most important context you can have is in your own life. You have to understand, what are you doing here? Why did he put you in America? Why didn't he put you over in India? Why didn't he put you in Africa? Why didn't he put you in Antarctica? Why didn't he, do you anybody even live there? With the penguins. Or the penguins <laughs> north of I always get confused. You know what I'm saying. Why didn't he put you over there in the woods? You know, whatever. Now, I want to show you something. And this is how very subtle religiosity is. How very subtle we can become when we become do-gooders. I don't want you to be that thing. I want you to be convicted, but I want you to be convicted in the right ways. Luke 12, 21, at the end of the parable of the rich man in the barns, so is the man who stores up treasure. Is that the end of the sentence? No, what's it say there? For himself. For himself. Context is key. For himself implies poor motivation and is not rich toward God. Do not forget that little phrase, those two words, for himself. Because if you do, you're going to make a false doctrine, and then you're going to be really willing to judge everyone who has a bank account that might be larger than yours. And that, my friends, is grotesque. That is ungodly. But that's what people do, right? Well, look at me. I'm broke. I'm like the widow's mite. Look at me. Ah, la, 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 la. Big deal. Why are you broke? You sure it wasn't wood, hay, and straw? You sure you're not just a terrible manager of his grace in the first place? Maybe you should have more money in the bank. Maybe you're the idiot that went in the wrong direction. It's just as probable. Who knows? I'm not saying you should have more or less. That's not for me to decide. I'm teaching truth. I'm saying that God designed this whole thing, and he said some have more and some have less. Big deal. We're here to do his will. What, are we going to start questioning the potter as the clay? Luke 12, 21. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this is part of our balance statement here. So please don't miss it. Jesus isn't saying that a man who stores up treasure is necessarily out of line with his father's will. He doesn't say that. He says treasure for himself. What he's saying is that if it is stored up for himself, then his motivation is wrong, and therefore it is no longer a source of blessing for that man, but rather a source of cursing. What we cannot do, and this is the battle I'm fighting right now, this is the the weight I'm putting on the other side of the scale so you don't go whoop and stop misunderstanding this whole series right now. What he's saying that if it is stored up for himself, then his motivation is wrong and therefore it is no longer a source of blessing for that man, but rather a source of cursing. What we cannot say about such a verse is that every rich man is not rich towards God. We cannot say that. Because that's not what it says. If it said that, I would teach it. But that's not what it says. Not every rich man is not rich towards God. (laughs) We cannot say that. That's a lie. That's a lie that we'd have to apply to the likes of Solomon, David, Lydia, etc., etc. You know, people that had wealth. As I've taught adamantly from this pulpit, do not make doctrines out of use cases in the Bible. Do not make doctrines out of use cases in the Bible. Balance statement. Please do not make the grave mistake of assuming that everyone who, quote, stores up treasures is doing so for himself and therefore disqualifying themselves as being rich toward God. Do not do that thing. That would be a grave mistake on your own behalf. You don't have the right to say that. No one does. 
Do not make the grave mistake of assuming that everyone who, quote, stores up treasures is doing so for himself and therefore disqualifying themselves as being rich toward God. A person may be both rich by world standards and rich by God's. Wealth is a heart issue through and through. You can be rich in both ways and be totally righteous towards God because it's not about the wealth. (laughs) It's a heart issue. How do you know what he's got planned for you? When he says spend it, spend it. When he says hold it, hold it. How do you know what he's got planned for you? You don't. So stop making false doctrines in your own souls. Do not become become judgmental towards others just because they may and may not have wealth. For that is not the issue. If it were, then everyone should be ascetic, right? Some of you might be like, oh, I don't see this. Okay, then maybe everybody should be an ascetic then. Ascetic is someone who just withdraws completely and says, I'm just going to denounce any form of creature credit whatsoever. I'm going to go live like John the Baptist lived with camel hair and, you know, a goofy belt and eating locusts and whatever I can find in the wild. Then why, not, why are we not all doing that then? Because we know that's not godliness either, at least unless he asked us to do that. Anybody been asked to eat locusts and live? Oh, I didn't think so. Let me put it this way, and this is a balanced statement. In some cultures, asceticism is highly esteemed. We just happen to live in the United States where rich wealth is highly esteemed. In some cultures, albeit smaller, asceticism is highly esteemed, even if the motivation is altogether wrong. This, too, is ungodly. This may be less common in America, for example, but it's no less evil than esteeming the rich for being rich. The point, esteem ought never be derived from any world scale of values. Any world scale of values. Esteem ought to be never or never be derived from any world scale of values. Now, with that said, those are all our balance statements. I need to get those out. Those are very, very important. I don't want people to walk away from these lessons all cockeyed, convicted when they shouldn't be, running out and sowing wood, hay, and straw when they could be sowing precious stones by maybe keeping it for a little while. And then six months later, God says, hey, guess what? The church has another need. Oh, I have it. How fun is that? It just matters who you're living for. Are you following his lead or not? Now, getting back to our primary course of study a bit, here's some more perspective from our lessons so far, particularly concerning tonight's message title, Heart Disease in America. Up here on the board, who says we're supposed to be, quote, comfortable in this world? Whoever said that? Maybe you are, maybe you're not, but whoever said that you're supposed to be? I mean comfortable in this flesh, in this world, in this sewer pipe. Ambassadors are working for as long as they are in the foreign country, right? I mean, you're actually in the country, and since you're in the country representing someone else, you're kind of like on the job. It's the same thing I have, right? I'm a pastor. I have a command that says I have to be right with the community. That means Pastor Ed can't go down to the watering hole and get in a fist fight while I'm doing shots, right? I could, but then I'd be against the Word of God on top of many other things, all right? That's not the only reason. But I have a calling on my life that says I have to maintain a certain status in the community lest I give the devil an opportunity. I'm an ambassador. I'm an ambassador for him. So I'm always on. Ambassadors are working for as long as they are in the foreign country, right? Well, we are ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Put these two verses together, something we saw in this past week. Hebrews 11.9, part A. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise. This was Abraham, remember. 13b, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. What does it say we're supposed to be comfortable? But that's what faith does, my friends. It accepts God's will. 
whether or not we understand what he's doing in our lives. For some, at least to some degree, he's really asking us to start selling things off for the sake of gospel. I know he's asked me to do it in the past, and I know he's asking me to do it right now. Whatever. And I'm not just talking about finances either, folks. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about selling off reputations. I'm talking about selling off whatever. Whatever the thing is that you hold a value, that it's, a, it's esteemed. What does it say? Our first, the things that are esteemed by this world are detestable to God. So sell them off. Get rid of them. If that means your precious home, then so be it. I'm not suggesting, by the way, in any way that that's occurring in any of you. So do not take my words out of context. I'm just saying that if, you ever, if it ever happened where he convicted you to do it, then do it. You'll be better for it. I'm just making a principal statement about following his will for our lives within the context of our own lives. Is it a noble thing to sell your home and give to the poor? It certainly is, if, if that's what he asked you to do. It's not noble if you're a religious fool. It's noble if that's what he asked you to do, but it certainly isn't noble if he never asked. Here's another perspective worth chewing on. Don't you love these lessons? When's the last time you received a bump in pay and your first reaction was to increase your giving to the church? When's the last time you received a bump in pay and your first reaction was to increase your giving to the church? That's a fair question. Something to chew on. When's the last time you realized that the greatest, quote, bump in pay is gracing you out with faith? A couple of things to chew on. One last point of review here from Tuesday's message. The elephant in the room. Will we miss out on the blessing of doing His will in time? That's the big, quote, elephant in the room. Are we going to miss out on this thing? Are we going to do the scarecrow? Oh, he's definitely talking to you. Oh, he's definitely talking to you. It's not me. Totally you guys. Because I'm storing up treasure for myself. But God sees the heart. Before we press on away from this specific topic of wealth, one last bit of practical food for thought. Practical. Get real practical now. You've seen the scripture. You know what the Spirit's getting at. Unless you're totally arrogant, you're missing the point. Reflect for a moment. America totes, quote, freedom as its big draw, right? Go to America where the freedom exists. That's our big, like, draw, right? Land of the free. That's why everyone in this country came here, at least it is nowadays, I think. We know from the U.S. Constitution that the First Amendment is regarding religious freedom. So we know... There was a time when the intentions of the Founding Fathers were good, it seems. But ask yourselves this question. Again, this, we're just trying to develop perspective, the right one. If the kingdom of heaven, or kingdom of God, is freely given to anyone on this planet, regardless of worldly citizenship, and America is now touting a perversion of true freedom called prosperity freedom, then what say you of the Great Commission? Synthesize those things. Again, if the kingdom of heaven is freely given to anyone on this planet, regardless of worldly citizenship, and America is now touting a perversion of true freedom called prosperity freedom, then what say you of the Great Commission? How do you synthesize, in other words, what the Spirit's been saying with the Great Commission? How do you synthesize, say, Galatians 5.1? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Is that the same freedom that the land of the free is all about? Is it? I don't think so. It may have been the intention a long time ago, arguably. Who knows? But it certainly doesn't look like that now. 
The freedom that's here is perverted. It's all about make more money so you can be free. But the Bible says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. But if you make more money, you'll be free. Where the heck is that in the Bible? So these two things are mutually exclusive ideas. Right? You might have money, but that's not the point. You may not have money. That's not the point. So we have to say, if, if, that's the, if that's the mantra of our own country, and the Great Commission says go out to all the nations, what are we doing? Do we want to be successful under the guise of, quote-unquote, American principles? Or do we want to be successful under God's principles? Which one do you want? Do you want to hide out under some ridiculous statement about, oh, the land of the free and this kind of a thing? Do you want to hide out under that? I'm not saying that this country doesn't provide us with certain religious freedoms. That's not what I'm saying. If you're going that route, you're just trying to squeeze you or squirm your way out of something in your own ridiculous soul. It's not what I'm saying at all. You know what I'm saying. We have a commission on our lives, and it's to go out to all the nations. And so the end of it is not just coming to church. Remember the MASH blog? The end of it's not coming to church and go, oh, look at us. We have a half a million dollar building in North Titan, and we do nothing. <laughs> oh, no, wait, sorry, my bad. We went to the Cow Chip Festival <laughs> for eight hours. We totally cranked it, guys. We even got an article on the website. We went out. Oh, my God, we killed it, guys. We killed it. That's enough, at least for two years, right? Totally enough. But I handed, oh, wait a minute. Scott outed me, said I didn't hand out any tracks. (laughs) Told you I was going to be number two. Next time I'm going to take you and just go, let me show you how it's done. Try to support a guy, and he throws you under the bus. I heard, no, everything gets back to me, man. I got you. <laughs> Who cares, right? I mean, oh, we went and spread out. We spent two hours on the beach. Handing out tracks. Is that a good thing? Sure. Sure, and it's a start. It really is. Don't get me wrong. I'm not picking on it. I'm just saying that's a start of something good. That's the fruit of what's happening here. He's saying, look at this. We're starting to go out for real. We're not pretending anymore. We don't, we're not just saying we're going out. We're not just saying we have a presence in the community. We're actually going out in the community by twos, just like Scripture says, to go try to win some souls. We're going to send a couple of guys across the world next May, hopefully. That's all a function of what he's doing. And we're accurate. We're appropriately motivated, some of us. Some of us are still coming around. That's all he's trying to do. If our own country's love for Christ has been sapped by its increasing love of prosperity freedom, isn't it fair to say the following? Institutionalized arrogance, just about every aspect of American life represents institutionalized arrogance, which is to say that social cultural and economic objectives are ungodly, organized to meet the desires of the flesh? I think that's fair to say. But I don't care. That's the whole point. I serve my country. I don't care. I'm not trying to ding America. I'm not trying to knock her out or cut her out at the knees. God bless America. We have freedoms that were given to us by God, to do what we're doing right now. Some countries would get blown up for doing what we're doing. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying, where's your mind? Where's your mind? Your citizenship is in heaven. This is not about being comfortable in a church and saying, this is religion. This is it. I go to church. I jump out. I eat some, some crellers or whatever the heck's back there. Right? I drink some coffee. And then I get back in my car and I go back home and I watch the Soprano reruns. Man, I love Tony Soprano. Dude, that's too bad he died. What a shame. Let me pray for him. What? Why aren't you praying for your brethren? You're praying for some actor who died playing some thug. What the hell is wrong with you? Seriously, what's wrong with us? You know what? If we're going to be that way, then we might as well lead the free world, right? Because that's what we do. We lead the free world. 
first used during the Cold War to describe either the United States or more commonly the President of the United States of America. We're really good at leading the world. Into what? Into what, my friends? Where's our country take? If our entire country is going south regarding Christ, and we're following, going, yeah, yeah, what are we doing? So here's what's been set before us, and I've got to close here. And again, in his perfect timing, he never asks us to fabricate motivation to do. Rather, he's been teaching us on the concept of experiential sanctification. His will is to change you from inside out. That's what he's doing. From the inside out. See, the, this, this country tries to change you from the outside in, tries to impress itself on you, infuse its values. The, I'm talking about the poor stuff at this juncture. I hope you realize that, because America has good values too, but I'm talking about the things that take us off course as believers. The context of American life, the true test for most American believers is whether or not they will take their worldly riches, the vast majority are very wealthy compared to the rest of the world, and use those resources to the benefit of spreading the gospel. Peace evades those who refuse. These are the truths we've been given to chew on, my friends, and as Scripture says, as Christ Himself says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. On that topic, the truth is not merely knowledge. The truth is all that the Word says, including the commands to obey, to go evangelize, etc., the truth includes the promises of blessings when we do not merely hear James 1.22. And by the way, there's no greater doing, is there, than to win a soul. Think about that. There's really no greater doing. I mean, what greater gift could you possibly give another human being than the gospel? What greater thing could transpire than a person being saved? A promotion? Seriously? I can't evangelize Uncle Jimmy because i got to get my promotion. i got to go on my trip. i got to get my new shoes for my new trip. Three sets of flip-flops, six new bathing suits, suntan lotion, spray-on tan if it rains. <laughs> Hairnets, Aquanet, toe fungal medicine in case you get cut on the coral, you know, some thing crazy starts growing up the side of your foot, right? I speak from experience. What are we doing? That's all he's saying. He's saying, what are we doing? Seriously, there's no greater thing to do in this life than to win a soul. Anybody want to argue that? I mean, and let me close with that. I know I've said this before, but maybe it's a good time for a refresher. If everything that you, your entire life, if you look back, if you're 80 years old, let's say, and you're, you're, you know that you're going to die in moments' time, and you say, I can't, I don't know, I, I just can't picture anything that I did other than to save or to give that one person the gospel and they were saved. And you went through hell and high water. And you stuck around in that person's life, let's say, when every indication, every American counselor said, run away, like now. Go get something better. Divorce his ass. Divorce her ass. This kind of bogus garbage. Do this thing. Do that thing. Don't bring glory to God. If you were 80 years old and you stuck it out and you did everything in your power to do so and someone was saved, would it be worth it? Would it be worth it? They get, they're going to spend all of eternity, no timeline, all of eternity in the presence of God. And you're worried about 80 years, which doesn't even look like a speck of sand on Horseneck Beach compared to eternity. Is it worth it? Is it worth it?
You bet it's worth it. You bet it's worth it, so then we know. What are we doing then? That's all he's saying. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege of studying your word here this evening. We ask for your blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.